You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello, and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer politics podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Danielle Battaglia. And this week we are talking about primary surprises and both on the national scale and what kind of potential primary surprises we might have in North Carolina. Um, so Super Tuesday coming up. Right. <laughs> it's going to be so super. <laughs> Enthusiasm, guys. Yeah. I'm going to have to work late. It'll be the superest Tuesday ever. Yes. <laughs> Election day pizza. Yeah. Election night pizza. I'm sorry, election night pizza. You're just going to start eating in the daytime, apparently. I just eat. (laughs) So for those who aren't aware, there's even a Twitter account of election night pizza. That's a big um, journalism staple of eating pizza in the newsroom on election night because, you know, what else are you going to get excited about? (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for the returns to come and the constant. Can't root for the politicians so you can at least root for pizza. What kind of pizza? I love that Twitter account. So, um, all right, you want to talk presidential first? Yeah, might as well start right at the top of the ballot. Um, So we now have the New Hampshire results, which probably have little or nothing to do with whatever comes out in North Carolina because we get all the different candidates here. We get Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, and whether them hanging out here a lot will make a difference for them, I don't know. Well, we do get Bernie Sanders, right? Oh, yeah, Bernie's coming. Right, and this will be He's coming to Raleigh-Durham, wherever that is. Possibly (laughs) Durham. I believe it only exists at the airport. Yeah. And, like, the middle of the airport, you know, maybe on the runway. On the runway. Well, actually, it wouldn't be bad if he just wanted to, like, do a quick flyby, say hi to everybody, and then get to to another primary state. He will actually be in Durham, though. Yeah, Michael Bloomberg's doing his uh, Raleigh meet-and-greet at Union Station, so he can just pop on a train train, after he's done. Oh, he's not doing it at his office, I just Mm -hmm. assumed. No. Yeah, I guess he wanted a bigger space, hoping for a bigger crowd that he can fit into an office. I saw some uh, photos. He was in Tennessee um, on Wednesday when we were recording this, and there were pretty big crowds, honestly. Um, for Tennessee, you wouldn't. Maybe he's got that blue momentum. Is that what we're saying? Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody has. I'm trying to sound just as dumb as one of the national pundits. Sorry, y'all. That's right, but yeah, so... blooming? His support is blooming. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. But yeah, so we've got... Early voting starts Thursday uh, for the primary. Bloomberg's going to be all around the state. He's coming to the triad. He'll be in Winston-Salem and Greensboro mm-hmm. followed in the morning, followed by Raleigh in the afternoon on Thursday. And then Bernie is coming on Friday to Charlotte and to Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we've seen so far for, at least for this week. That's um, a lot for early voting rollout. And yeah. Will, you and I were, um, covered Bernie the last time he was here in Chapel Hill and got a fair amount of UNC student turnout. We'll see how it is in Durham. It's, I'd say it's going to be a pretty friendly crowd in Durham for him, maybe even more so than some of the other um, primary candidates mm-hmm. that came through. Yeah, and it was a big turnout when he came to UNC really young crowd. Um, obviously, it was at a college campus. Um, I'd expect his Durham crowd probably trend a little bit older, uh, mm-hmm. just because it's at the, uh, what? I think it's the convention, the convention center, center, and it's yeah. the middle of the day, and yeah, you got to park in the garage across the street. <laughs> <everything>. <laughs> My guess is it'll be like a lot of Durham politicians, but they turn out no matter who they support. Um, they were at, you know, when Biden came to Durham, when Kamala Harris came to Durham, when Castro came to Durham. Um, but I think we're actually at the time now of endorsements um, coming out with um, if who you follow locally. 
um, you know, would have any impact on who you vote for in the primary, and and maybe it does. Um, you know, yeah, larger group endorsements and and local electives. It'll be interesting to watch because I mean, Bernie certainly seems like the front runner right now for the Democratic primary. Um, there's kind of that whole contingent of more moderate Democrats who are right behind him, but it doesn't really seem like voters have coalesced around any one candidate. Um, mm-hmm. We had a story today. There's a new poll uh, from High Point, right? Um, yeah. That found Biden is losing ground. Um, a lot of people obviously thought at the beginning of this whole primary that he was kind of the front runner, but he has been kind of moving in the in the opposite direction as people like Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Well, he's have, losing some endorsements too. Uh, I saw that USA Today article where Clay Aiken was uh, he had been a Biden endorser, and now he's switching to Klobuchar. Yeah, um, and um, more locally, um, although I guess Clay Aiken is a local guy. I think this was Carolina. just a way for you to mention <laughs> Clay Aiken and Domecast. We need to bring him back on Domecast. Clay, if you're listening, call us, um, which is apparently how he got on Domecast the first time. We can talk about trees. So the time I interviewed him about some entertainment story like years ago, we talked about how Raleigh has a lot of trees, which of course makes sense because it's the city of Oaks. Now, people who are not from here comment on how many trees there are when they come. So there's my little tree, my tree sidetrack yeah. Yeah. Uh, to add to your clay sidetrack. I'm now like going through all the trees I've seen. And is there a lot here? There are a lot of trees, yeah. 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 Like other cities, like I remember like covering some meeting a couple of years ago in Durham where they were jealous of the Raleigh tree canopy. But anyway, this is not about tree canopies. <laughs> yeah. This is Any about political uh, and all the, maybe some tree huggers or support yeah. of certain candidates. Um, speaking of things made out of trees, the paper signs... Um, last week we talked about the <laughs> done. Did you like that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, the Dan Forrest signs, as we know, are everywhere. Sam Hayes signs are everywhere. I've started seeing Bloomberg signs, a lot more Bloomberg signs. And the, uh, Alan Thomas uh, signs. Yes, yes I've seen that. But he yes. always puts 10 of them in a row in one spot, and then you don't see one for another mile, and it's kind of like, But you, you saw doing, that though? patch. Yeah. There's one I've seen, somewhere near the mall, Crabtree, where it's like just... Hundreds, like he just blanketed it overnight. Well, Not I mean, people night, catch it, and Wiley Nickel. I've noticed, like yeah. between like Crabtree and Briar Creek, I've passed a lot of Wiley Nickel signs. Of course, that's his district. Yeah. I've seen a lot of signs for a district court judge, and I'm not sure why I'm seeing more signs for that than other things, but. I, I guess that like could be a surprisingly more, exciting race. I found this out when Bataglia ran. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. It's right it to is. me. There's no, yeah. no relation, right? <laughs> no, right, there's no relationship. But um, every time he runs, I get, like, even in Greensboro, I would get pictures of his signs from Raleigh. And I'm like, actually, I guess it's Durham. But I mean, that would be pretty cool. I don't know how many Vaughn or Baumgartner signs are around. The mayor in Greensboro. Right, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no relation for me either. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a sign sidetrack. Yeah. Uh, so we've got Bloomberg and Bernie. And as far as momentum, I mean, covering when Elizabeth Warren was here in Raleigh, she brought a really, really large crowd out to Broughton High School. So whether or not that'll turn and maybe just the people that came to see her as far as like how Wake County votes uh, for Warren um, as opposed to other Democrats, just because of that enthusiasm, like the crowd that just talking to people, it was they were seemed really excited um, where some others came to see presidential candidates because they're like, oh, it's a historic moment and they're here. But the Warren people I talked to were like just really like amped up about her and her plans. So whether or not, um, you know, that translates into voting for her in the primary versus someone else, you know, maybe a lot of her supporters are also Sanders supporters and they have to decide, you know, between the two. 
um, who they want. And then we have Klobuchar, who has never been here. Um, maybe she'll come. Maybe, you know, that's. I think she's the only one that hasn't yeah, come. She had like 4% in that um, high point poll this week. So obviously people here are not as tuned into her yet. but now Because she hasn't shown up. Yeah. Right? I and, mean, you got to show and up. And now that she's getting all this national media attention, I don't know if that'll translate into mm-hmm. more of a presence here in North Carolina. Well, you notice Tuesday. Bloomberg going up once he did the full blanket of, like, ads yeah. everywhere, and all of a sudden everyone was once like, oh, Bloomberg. Once your ads are inescapable, it's hard for people not they to know who you are. They are inescapable. Right. So some of it is just recognition, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd be um, curious with his event at Union Station because um, when he had it at his office, the opening, it was all like it seemed like friends his babysitter like his kids babysitter not his babysitter but like people like that I'd be curious to see outside of his own office who shows up this week to see him yeah yeah um his his campaign was uh bragging today they got um uh, Tom Hendrickson who's the former chairman of the state democratic party uh who had previously been kind of a Biden supporter uh came over and officially endorsed Bloomberg Mm -hmm. um so they've been you know, definitely feeling like they've got some momentum. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's pretty surprising to a lot of people uh, that Biden is lagging the way he is and that you have some of these other candidates uh, who are doing better than a lot of the, the national pundits mm-hmm. thought. Um, the other thing that surprised me a little bit in that High Point poll, and, it, again, it's just one poll, so we'll see, you know, how it plays out, but it found that... Um, Support for Trump was basically negative eight here in North Carolina. I think he had like 42% approval to 50% disapproval. And I mean, this is a state that voted for President Trump by five or six points in 2016. So for him to, you know, now be eight points underwater, that's a... I'll be interested to see what happens in the Republican primary here, because unlike some states where they've canceled it uh, here, despite the best efforts of the NCGOP to make Trump be the only option on their ballot, uh, Bill Weld and Joe Walsh will be on the ballot. Um, And I think most Republican voters who would vote for them would be recognizing that's just a protest vote because they don't like Trump. But it'll be curious Mm -hmm. to see what percentage that takes out of Trump's total in the GOP primary. Well, you have to get Republicans to vote in the primary, you know, and are they interested enough to come out, you know, and vote for versus Grange um, for the gubernatorial primary or lieutenant governor's crowded field? It could be just like who decides to come. It could be unaffiliated voters picking which which ballot they want if they're not registered with a party. Um, So I really don't see, I mean... Well, yeah, I don't know what, what drives Republican... turnout other than, you know, obviously presidential drives it for Democrats, but... Um, Knowing them, right? I mean, yeah. if you know the candidate and you want to make sure they, they get somewhere, I mean, if you're ambivalent about, you know, oh, as long as it's a Republican, as long as it's a Democrat, then, like, maybe you won't vote. Cause, but, yeah, but they know. don't, you know, the Republicans don't have a competitive U.S. Senate primary. Tillis's challengers are all pretty much, you know, perennial candidates or people who nobody knows. Um, and then... Yeah, I mean, the only really hotly contested, if you can even call it that, is lieutenant governor, where they've got like eight or nine Republican candidates running. Mm -hmm. um, And it's kind of unclear who's the front runner, who anyone's even heard of. Um, Some of the polling has come out uh, into a lot of these races, and it's like 80% of voters have no idea who these people are. So Mm -hmm. does it just become a picking a fun name off the ballot or... You well, know, it's where they're see. from. What, yeah. Like, you know, do you know Buddy Bengal? So, like, you're going to vote for him, you know? Or do you know Deborah Cochran? So yeah. you'll vote or for Or does Buddy Bengal sound like a more friendly person than any of his candidates? <laughs> his uh, name is Buddy, Buddy, so, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. There is... Um, 
in the congressional races, there is the 11th district, Mark Meadows' old seat out in western North oh, yeah, Carolina, that's a free-for-all. that has a ton of people in both the Democratic and the Republican primaries. I think that's really the only Republican primary, certainly the only hotly contested Republican primary for any congressional seat. Um, so you could see a situation, too, where you know GOP voter turnout is pretty heavy in the western part of the state compared to other parts of the state, just because... There is that race, you know, that actually gives people, you know, a real reason to come out and make their opinion heard in that race and then, you know, could filter down to the the other races down the ballot. Um, But, yeah, I mean, basically all of our congressional elections are going to be decided in in the primary, you know, for for the U.S. House. Obviously, the Senate, you know, will be probably people are thinking probably a pretty close general election. But in the congressional seats, most of them are pretty safely drawn from one party or another so yeah and so yeah, they get aside in the primary and i think all of them have what we would consider front runners but i think it's there's been such low profile races that you could see surprises in there where either there ends up being a runoff uh, in one of the things like the particularly the 11th like you mentioned with a boatload of candidates um or you could just see somebody come out on top that you're like Wait, really? Is that mm-hmm. that was not who I would have expected? Well, money matters, but I mean, I don't think it matters in local elections because it doesn't necessarily sway local elections at the municipal level. So once you yeah. get to your, you know, your delegation, does it still matter once you get to statewide office? And I think it becomes more and more important, like the higher you get. But also it's I mean, when we look at like how I don't know, the primary surprise, I think, with the Democrats and the Senate would be. I would be surprised if Erica Smith won, and I would be surprised if Cal Cunningham won. <laughs> really, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I we initially started this whole process thinking Cal Cunningham was a clear front runner, but uh, Erica Smith, I think, is getting some grassroots support from people who like that her stance is a little bit more to the left and outspoken on some of the key issues. But then she's getting all of that money sort of behind her with these Republican, this sort of sketchy Republican pack from, I guess, mm-hmm. somewhere out of state that is running all these pro Erica Smith ads that looked like they were done by Erica Smith. I mean, it's all clearly the Republicans want Smith to get it. Yeah. They think they can beat her more easily with Tillis. Um, And Mm -hmm. Tillis's polling um, kind of comparably to Trump's, maybe even a little more so is not great at the sort of statewide level in that high point survey that came out uh, this week. But Cunningham um, hasn't had a lot of public events, you know, here as much. I mean, the whole yeah, space well, it's, it's thing. It's sort of a nationalized campaign and right. they, you know, they run ads. They go to the sort of safe events. They'll do a few of the forums. I think there is, uh, I just saw there's going to be a televised either forum or debate or something that will air on TV over the weekend with the uh, Senate Democratic candidates. Um, but I think, yeah, the goal is just sort of him, for him not to get in any sort of trouble that can become a Republican campaign ad after the fact. But now that Smith is pushing harder he kind of has to do more and spend more on advertising in the primary than he would otherwise which you know it's not what he wants for the long term i don't think we can discount either um voting on on gender and do you want um you know we already have burr so do you want the other senator if or are the democrats anyway to be a woman versus a man or african-american woman versus a white man who is already you know the representation so I think that can be a factor in people's voting. If you look, um, there's usually, like, you can look at the demographic data um, post-elections, especially local elections, and see how people voted um, versus population, and representation matters. And do you want to vote for somebody that looks like you or somebody that doesn't or a mixture of, you know, reflects you and your policy positions? Or what if the policy positions are the same? So, you know, what do you... 
Like, what, what does it come down to? Like, whether or not you, if yeah. you know them there, or not. Yeah. And there are more women running. Yeah, that's the struggle with a lot of these primaries. I mean, we've all been doing these candidate stories uh, about the various people from a single party wanting, whether it's Secretary of State or Labor Commissioner or any of these, and trying to find any sort of, like, key policy differences that we can convey to readers so that they can sort of make a policy-informed choice. I mean, it's hard because they they don't really say Sometimes much different than the other people in their same party mm-hmm. running for the same thing. But there's still, I mean, there can be several, the primary could decide, like, several historic moments. So there are African-American candidates for lieutenant governor um, on the Democrat side and the Republican side. So if the Democrats choose an African-American person and so do the Republicans, that means the next lieutenant governor of the state is going to be African-American, which I don't think we've had before. No. Um, no, yeah, there's been that's a, that's you've a had at least deal. one African American member of the Council of State, and I think no African American women. So when I was doing my labor commissioner story, I noted that um, you could have, if Pearl Burris Floyd, the UNC Board of Governors member who's African American, wins the Republican primary, she'll be up against uh, Wake County Commissioner Jessica Holmes, also African American. Uh, and a Democrat in the general election, and then whoever wins that seat is going to sort of be a historic first. I mean, if you walk into a council of state meeting, it's it's all white people. Yeah. You know? So that would be a change, and um, not just racial demographics, but you know, women women are already at the table of the council of state, but but that could change. You know, that could be more. It could end up being half. I don't know what the numbers are. Like to, as far as like half and half, or, or majority women even. Um, so I think when people are deciding who they want to vote for, if they don't have something. In particular, um, policy-wise, you know, especially in the primary, that um, you know, it's it's up to it's that individual person who you want in the seat. Now, once they get through the primary, if they can defeat the incumbent or the opponent in the other party, that's something entirely different that I'm sure we'll have many Domecats discussions about. Yeah. Yes. What about um, congressional races? Yeah. Well, we talked about the 11th district, um, and I mean that. That could even go to a runoff. Um, I, I think there's probably a handful of races that could go to runoff, so we'll have yet another primary election sometime later this spring. It's a really low turnout. It's yeah. like, here's a thir- runoff for Republican lieutenant governor candidates yeah, like or something like that. Four or five, six percent turnout. Um, but um, yeah, so you have basically the 11th district, which is probably going to go Republican uh, in the general election, which has really really crowded uh, primary out there in Asheville and Western North Carolina. And obviously here in Raleigh, where we are, where we're recording this today, we have the second district, which is going to go Democratic in the general election. Uh, Deborah Ross looks to probably probably be the front runner in that. Um, then you have Monica Johnston Hostler, who's a Wake County School Board member. And the uh, Congressional running. Black Caucus, I think, came out in favor of Johnston Hostler um, this week. So that's you know, going to, I think, boost her campaign a little bit. I think she may probably end up with less funding to do advertising and stuff than Deborah Ross, who's already run a statewide campaign for U.S. Senate. But Right, yeah. Deborah Ross obviously has the, the name recognition there, having run a statewide Senate campaign against Richard Byrne in 2016. But I don't think she's eschewing by any chance. I think, you know, she'll have to campaign hard in that race. Um, and then there's the 6th District in Greensboro, and... Uh, Long, long time or medium time listeners will know that Danielle uh, came to us recently from the Greensboro <laughs> paper. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm very interested in this race because when I actually covered the 6th District when I worked in Rockingham County, 
And that was, like, mostly a Rockingham County with a sliver of Guilford County, I want to say. I'm sorry if I'm a little wrong on that. I know Mark Walker lives in, well, I think he lives in somewhere in Guilford County. So, um, but that was a very Republican, very, um, you know, very Republican, like, area. And having Rockingham be neighbored by Guilford County, which is so liberal, and now part of Winston-Salem, or all of Winston-Salem being in that district, you've completely turned the ballot from being, like, you know, Republican-led voters to Democrats. And that, I mean, they basically made it impossible to win that, which is probably why we saw Mark Walker walk yeah, away from Yeah, he that just seat. decided not to even run. Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, the writing was on the wall. That's a Democratic huh. seat. Walker walked away. Walker walked away. <laughs> <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it looks probably like Kathy Manning is the favorite in that, again, just because she has been a high-profile federal Mm -hmm. candidate in the past. Obviously, she ran against Ted Budd, um, ran a pretty close campaign against Ted Budd. She's, you know, very wealthy, uh, very active Democratic fundraiser. Um, We've seen her up there before. But, I mean, the way that district is drawn, is she the shoe-in candidate? Or, I mean, does it look like that could bring some surprises when the primary is done? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> I, I haven't followed the people as much as the, like, boundaries of mm. it in that race. Well, and you've got some prominent um, African-American state legislators from that area who are running, like, Ed ha- former uh, state rep Ed Haynes, mm-hmm. current representative Derwin Montgomery, who was previously on the Winston-Salem City Council. So any of those mm-hmm. can potentially have a strong showing. Um, and I think Fox, if you went to who a, was Alma Adams' chief of staff. Yeah, um, you, know, you could end up with a runoff in that situation if nobody really... Yeah. one outright and then it's sort of a maybe a one-on-one with Manning and one of the other uh, folks yeah that would be interesting because I mean there are I think four different HBCUs just within that district um and the fact that you've got several like you said Colin pretty well-known African-American candidates I could I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of them uh won it outright or at least like you said you know got enough votes to get into a runoff with uh with Manning in there I know A&T brings out their student population a lot to go vote, and that's a huge issue for them mm-hmm. is make sure their students are registered to vote, make sure that they're voting. Um, so you could see some some uh, changes there with Yeah, and this is going to be the first time in years that A&T's campus isn't split between two yeah. different congressional districts. It's all in that district um, as a result of the, the gerrymandering trials we had. So. Yeah. Do you guys see anything? I don't think that, I mean, primary surprises in the legislature – I think the Durham McKissick's former seat that we talked about before, you know, it's I could see it being close between Pierce Freeland and Allie Murdoch, but um, and then whoever you know wins the primary will get in there early um, to be appointed when Michelle steps down. But I can't think of any other. I, the one I'm watching really is Johnson. Larry Pittman's seat because oh, okay. um, he's being challenged. I think probably his most credible challenger in the primary so far. Uh, a former county commissioner in that area, I want to say, but his district's been redrawn, so it's some different people who maybe haven't voted for him in the past. Um, and obviously, as, as we've detailed, some of his more colorful statements about Lincoln and history uh, have been in the news, and, and whether that causes Republican voters to say, hey, we want somebody who's, I don't know, more moderate per se, but at least less uh, less unique in their statements um, to, to hold that seat, you, you might listen like to spout off about <laughs> What about, are you following the Lisa Stone Barnes race? Right? Yeah, that's an interesting one because you've got the, I mean, I think she probably has somewhat of an advantage being a sitting House member, uh, but she's up against a Johnston County commissioner 
uh, named Patrick Harris, who's fairly popular within Johnston County. I think he was the fire chief there when I worked down there a few years ago. Um, and then the uh, gun store owner who has been in the news because he is currently uh, accused by his wife of various domestic violence charges um, and has made some uh, statements not so nice about women in general uh, and has had some calls to drop out. So how that race will play out will be interesting because I think the uh, the end result is that it is going to be a potentially competitive district in the general. So who the Republicans end up with could have a, a lot to do with whether uh, Democrats have a good shot at taking over that seat. The primary also knock out people who, um, you know, ran and didn't even make it through the primary. And so they're leaving the General Assembly, too. You know, if, if Grange, you know, loses lieutenant or excuse me, loses governor, um, which as it appears to be, you know, <laughs> leaning that direction, Republican, like and she's out and Stone Barnes, you know, like leaving the House for to run for Senate and. Um, several other people, Van Dyne um, leaving the Senate to run for um, lieutenant governor. And if she doesn't make it through the primary, she's a Democrat, then that's, then yeah, that's a lot it. of people so, take the political gambles, so we'll a see. Lot of, yeah, Mark Johnson, you know, superintendent public construction, also lieutenant governor on the Republican side. So I think it'll end up, um, you know, we'll see the, the changing demographics of uh, the legislature. Um, you know, it's going to, I don't know, it'll be more clear after the primary. Yeah. Just, or state government, rather. Yeah, no matter what happens, you're going to have at least half a dozen people who are in office right now who won't be yeah. uh, at the start of next year. And maybe, I mean, maybe the, you know, surprises are all gone and none of their bids for higher office worked, <laughs> you know, or maybe the surprise is like, good idea, and they all made it, you know, yeah. the primary, so we'll find out. They're yeah. hoping for the latter. Yeah, obviously, right? <laughs> Probably be a mix, so yeah. I think, yeah. Well, let's take a moment, and uh, before we break, before headline of the week, as we now do, go to the uh, headliner scoreboard and see which of us won last week. Remember, this um, is a Twitter poll where you can vote at, at Under the Dome on Twitter and what were um, Yeah, so I was a little surprised by this one because I nominated this one in CGA meeting rooms and their um, sudden renovations ended up being uh, the number one pick at 32%, followed by a tie between Silent Sam and Cheeseburgers at 28% and then Impeachment way in the distance at 12%. Whatever Everyone is just yeah. sick of Impeachment. <laughs> yeah, no, they'd rather talk about meeting rooms. Yeah. <laughs> or Cheeseburgers or Silent well, Sam. Well, Cheeseburger was my nominee and I voted for, <laughs> for yeah, the LOB so rooms. So. I don't know if this is the most free and fair election, but... <laughs> I feel like more of our insider readers came out on this vote. With yeah. Uh, yeah, who isn't excited rooms. about a renovated <laughs> meeting room? It's yeah. got to be the insider crowd. Yeah. <laughs> it's NCGA coffee pot. But yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, let's take a break, and we'll come back with uh, this week's headline of the week. And we're back with headliner of the week. So again, if you haven't listened in a few weeks, we've changed our format to be slightly more democratic, or at least in uh, social media. So you all get to vote on the headliner of the week that we propose um, via Twitter poll, and it'll be at, at Under the Dome by the time you listen to this, which is our politics Twitter account here at the News and Observer, and we'll all retweet it also. So since I'm already talking, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> and my nomination for Headliner of the Week are the 163 
IT workers who were who lost their jobs with DHHS over uh, the budget, uh, just overall budget problems and agreement, whether or not you say that's the the stalemate of the budget, if the budget had passed, or if uh, whose version of the budget. Anyway, the budget is at fault um, for... 163 IT workers at DHHS losing their jobs, some who I've been told were there um, a pretty long time. And just because you're a contract, they're all contract workers. Um, but if any of our listeners do contract work, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just some a temp who comes and goes a week here and there. Sometimes it's long-term work um, or short-term work, whatever. But like it, you know, it's, it's people's uh, income, significant jobs and so my headliner are those IT workers. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, ECU election rigging because uh, that was some fun drama over the last week or so. That was they, wild. Yeah, with the ECU board of trustees, the two members who, uh, as I understand it, I didn't report the story myself, so forgive me if I screw up any of the details. Uh, they had a student body president whose name was Colin something. Uh, I only remember that because that's my name. Uh, <laughs> Good job. But, um, uh, they didn't like what he, how he was voting, and he has a vote on their board. Uh, so they had talked to this other student and tried to convince her to run and offered to finance her campaign. Um, and for doing that, that got them one of the guys uh, pushed to resign from the board, and the other guy got censured uh, because the UNC Board of Governors apparently didn't have the power to remove him. Only the legislature could do that, and the legislature's not in session right now. So for uh, having some really fun, petty election drama, the ECU Board of Trustees gets my vote this week. Yeah, ECU's <laughs> getting lots of attention lately. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a party school. What can I say? Everything players fun. <laughs> All right, I'm going to nominate uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger. Um, he was in the news uh, for a story I wrote. Uh, he sold his townhouse uh, in Raleigh to a lobbyist. Uh, actually, Tom Apodaca's son, Tate, um, bought Berger's house from him. Um, we wrote about this. There's been an ethics complaint, complaint filed against this, um, but uh, one elections official has already looked into it and said didn't appear like anything wrong happened. Uh, not, none of our laws were technically violated uh, by this and basically signed off on it. Um, so... Uh, Berger had also previously had an ethics complaint regarding the same townhouse that he was using his campaign funds to pay himself rent for, but that also doesn't appear to have gone anywhere, doesn't appear that that violated anything, and he has raised quite a bit of money. Um, he has over a million dollars in his campaign account, so he can spare a little bit for uh, for some rent. Yeah, I have a feeling now that this has been real okay, we're going to see lots more of this because honestly, like if you're a legislator and you've got campaign money and you need a place in Raleigh because you're in office, you'd be a chump to rent if you could uh, buy your own place <laughs> and then, you know, sell it later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see a lot of people pay rent, pay for hotel rooms with their campaign funds, but um, according to Bob Hall, who's been filing these complaints, he can't really find any examples of people buying a house here in Raleigh and then using their campaign money to essentially pay off the mortgage. Um, and so that's why he's been going against this because he thinks that is bad and shouldn't be allowed to happen. Um, but I, that, that's been his argument, yeah. Colin, is that you will probably see a lot more of this. Yeah. Bill Berger, trailblazer. <laughs> All right, Daniel. I'm going with Greg Lindbergh. Um, we're going to see him. Well, we've seen him a lot in the news this week. We'll see him a lot in the news next week. Um, his hearing starts, and that's got to do with Robin Hayes and the GOP and that, ins uh, that entire situation with the, the Department of Insurance. 
So um, I think we can see some surprises coming out of this hearing. I think it will answer some questions we've had in this hearing. Um, you know, there's been stuff coming out this week about it. So I think he's my he's my headliner. All right. So we've got Lindbergh and what do you want to call yours? And Burger ECU drama. Burger housing. <laughs> <laughs> And laid off contract workers from the state. So, again, you can vote in our Twitter poll at Under the Dome and, of course, follow that and all of us. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Daniel Battaglia. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.